We all have tales we tell ourselves, of which we are the hero. But what if Jesus became the subject? How would that change the way our stories unfolded? If the savior of the world was our focus, if every tale we told had Jesus as the main character, and every plot twist was part of a cosmic narrative, a narrative that guided our lives and dictated our decisions. From nativity to humanity, his story led from king to cross, a heroic journey from a humble servant to a holy sacrifice, calling and leading, healing and revealing. And now he is our guide through every act and scene, not as a figure of the past, but present through to our future. Leading us through every peak and valley and holding our hand through every cliffhanger. All we must do is let him take the lead and reign as king in the center of our story. Good morning. It is good to have you. I'd like to welcome you here in Bellingham. Those of you who have joined us in Skagit, so glad that you joined us for one of our services down there, as well as those uh, joining us live stream. Uh, glad that you're with us here. To join with, really, hundreds of us uh, right now in, in this room there in Skagit uh, to celebrate something, but not just hundreds. Over the course of this weekend, you're joining in with thousands of people, not only here at Cornwall, but in our communities in Whatcom and Skagit County. And this weekend and today, joining with millions in our nation and literally billions across the globe, and not just this weekend, when you think about it, over the course of the last 2,000 years, untold billions of people have joined together in gatherings like this to celebrate one event, to celebrate one event that happened to one person. And that event that happened to a person, while it happened to one person, it happened for everyone. And I want to just give it to you in a nutshell of why it is that we gather and why we celebrate this. Because 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to earth and he taught and then he was arrested and he was condemned and then he was crucified and he died and they buried him. But that was not the end of the story because three days later, he came back to life. He rose out of the grave and that's the event that we celebrate. That's the event that happened to him. But I said it happened for us because of what happened that week. We can now have forgiveness from our past and our sins. We can have power for our present, hope for our future, and assurance for eternity. That's why we gather and celebrate. That's the good news of this morning. And so there's a tradition throughout church history that's been going on for hundreds, maybe thousands of years of a call and response. And some of you have already done this this morning. We're going to do it again today. Listen, if you're just here and say, I'm, I don't want to participate, that's fine. That's okay. But let's try this together here, Skagit. Even if you're watching online, go ahead and do this. Even if you're sitting in Starbucks. Here we go. He is risen. He is risen Fantastic. What you may not be aware of is that in the Greek Orthodox Church and the Roman Orthodox Church, that greeting is often followed by three kisses on the cheeks. And so I would invite you this morning to not do that. Um, because there's nothing more awkward than going to a church and having some woman come up and slobber all over you. Now, if you're sitting next to an attractive stranger, maybe afterwards you can talk about that. But it is good to be together and to celebrate this great event this morning. You know, the very first Easter was not a great celebration with incredible music and thousands of balloons blown up. In fact, Mark tells us in his gospel, in his recounting of, of Jesus' life and story, that that morning, 
There wasn't a celebration. In fact, there were no men at that morning deal. They were afraid. They were hiding. They were confused. There were some women that went to a tomb, and they went there. And as they were going, in their thinking, this wasn't a celebration. Their teacher, their leader, their friend had died. And not only had he died, but their hopes and their dreams and their plans of their life and this movement and this kingdom that he talked about was dead as well. They didn't go to celebrate. They went to pay their last respects. They went to prepare his body for its final resting place. And they were even confused on how that was going to happen. On the way, they talked about, how, how are we even going to do this? They'd rolled a, a stone over the, the entrance of the tomb, and, and they weren't feeling like they were going to be strong enough to roll that away. But when they got to the tomb, they found that the stone had been rolled away and that the tomb was empty, and there was a young man sitting there. And this is what Mark says. Mark chapter 16, verse 6 says this. Don't be alarmed, he said, this young man. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Now, this little message, this is like the first Easter sermon. This little message, they took about four-fifths of it as truth. Yes, they were looking for Jesus the Nazarene. No question about it. That's why they came. He was crucified. They knew that. They were there. They watched it. He's not here. That was obvious. They could see the place where they laid him. Good. It's all fantastic. But this line, he has risen. They're like, really? I mean, they're not convinced. Listen, if you're here today and you're like not convinced about this whole thing, you're like, really? You guys believe that someone died and came back to life? If you're skeptical about it, you're in good company. Because Jesus' closest friends, his most uh, devoted followers, they were skeptical. They didn't believe it. They were like, how can this be? They were unsure about this whole thing. They could take four-fifths of this message, but that last fifth about him being risen, they weren't so sure. Because when people die, they stay dead. You're looking at me like this is brand new news to you. <laughs> That's the way it happens. John Ortberg writes about a friend of his, another guy named John, who is a denominational official in Minnesota. And one of his, this is what he writes, one of his jobs was to travel to little rural communities where they didn't have churches and to do funerals. He would go out with an undertaker and they would drive together in the undertaker's hearse. One time they were on their way back from a funeral and, and his friend John was feeling quite tired. He decided he would take a nap and since they were in a hearse, he thought, well, I'll just lie down in the back of the hearse. The guy who was driving the hearse pulled into a service station because he was running low on gas. The service station attendant was filling up the tank, and he was kind of freaked out because there was a body stretched out in the back. While he was filling the tank, John woke up, opened his eyes, knocked on the window, and waved at the attendant. John said he never saw anybody run so fast in his whole life. Because when people see life where they were expecting death, they start running. You know, it's interesting. The followers of Jesus that morning weren't expecting him to be alive. He had told them, he had told them repeatedly, I'm going to die three days later, I'll be back. But it, they must have missed that somehow. And what's interesting is that the earliest followers of Jesus documented the fact that they had disbelief. They didn't, they didn't sugarcoat that. They just said, yeah, we, didn't, we didn't believe it either. These women, they come, and there's a man, there's an empty tomb, and there's a man standing there saying, he is risen. What they don't say is, oh, that's right, it's Easter. <laughs> totally forgot about that. They had never had Easter before. 
This was not in their thinking. In fact, in verse 8, it says this, trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. They didn't go around saying, he is risen, he is risen indeed. They were running saying, he's missing, he's missing indeed. Well, what do we do with this? They went back and told the disciples and they were all confused and they were all afraid and they were all discouraged. Even though Jesus had told them, even though the young man had told them. And when they finally did see Jesus, they were surprised. They were shocked. I mean, the women were shocked. The disciples were Everyone was surprised that Jesus was back alive. Everyone that is except Jesus. Jesus wasn't surprised. This didn't catch him off guard. You don't find Jesus saying, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Craziest thing. Last thing I remember, I'm hanging on a cross. Rough day. I pass out. Next thing I know, I'm squinting my eyes because the stones rolled away. And here I am, bam, I'm alive. No, no, no. This was not a surprise to him. In fact, he called it. In advance, in John chapter 10, he says, I lay my life down only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This wasn't a surprise to Jesus. He says, I've got all authority in heaven on earth and eternity over life and death. I like what Andy Stanley says. When you've got a man who can predict his own death and resurrection and pull it off, you just go ahead and go with everything he says. And that's an amazing deal. Now, some of you might be saying, okay, I'm here. I'm brought here. I didn't want to be here, but I'm here. And, and like, really? I mean, you guys seem like sensible people. You really believe this? And maybe you're saying, well, okay, so there's that whole deal, but, but so what? What's the big deal? And, and why, do you, why do you make such a big deal about this? I want to spend a few minutes today talking about this because this is a very, very important subject. And I will say this. There have been volumes written about these questions like, really? And, you know, so what? And I just want to hit them briefly. I want to give you some things to think about. And then I want to tell you why this is a big deal and why I think it's so important, not just from a historical perspective, but for every single one of us. Here's a question that you can contemplate. Can the resurrection be relative? Can the resurrection be relative? And, and I ask it this way, because in our world where we are politically correct, which is a good thing, where there's mutual respect, and I'm all about that, where this, this, this uh, tolerance and coexistence needs to happen, there's a popular um, approach to things. It's the idea of, of relative truth, that there's not a universal truth, but something can be true for you and not be true for me. And this happens a lot in faith traditions. If this leader, this teacher, this guru, this whatever is true for you, great, that's great for you. If this ideology is true for you, it doesn't have to be true for me. If it's true for you, fantastic. If this philosophy is true for you or true for me, that's great. You know, if this, this pathway, this discipline, this religious system is true for you, it's all subjective, it's all relative. It can be true for you, no universal truth. And some would say, can't we just do that and agree with that on the resurrection? All you crazy Christians want to believe that he came back from the dead. That's true for you, but not for me. Here's... The issue, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not an ideology. It's not a philosophy. It's not a pathway. It's an event that happened in history, and events either do or don't happen 
They're not relative. Now, there are events that happen and some people don't believe that they actually happen. There are some people that don't believe that the Holocaust ever happened. There are some people that don't believe anyone ever landed on the moon. But that doesn't mean, it isn't because they, they believed, you know, a different system or, or a different tradition. Now, let me give you a, a more uh, recent example. Less than a week ago, most of us were, were saddened when we heard about or saw the pictures that Notre Dame was on fire and, and being consumed by flames in Paris. Now, that's an event that happened this last week. But you can't say, well, I'm not French, so it didn't happen. I'm not Catholic, so it didn't happen. It doesn't matter. It happened or it didn't, regardless of what your nationality or your religious persuasion is. So when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's an event that either did happen or it didn't happen. And some would say, well, but okay, it's just a little too far-fetched. I like Jesus. I like his teachings. I like the story. And I'll even go along with the fact that he was crucified because there's extra biblical, you know, uh, people that would corroborate that. And I'll even say that the tomb was empty because there are some that have re reflected that as well. But the whole resurrection thing, I, you know, it's kind of this cafeteria plan to Jesus, like the women at the first Easter. I'll take four-fifths of it, but that, la that resurrection piece, I, I just can't do that. The followers, the early followers of Jesus, the eyewitnesses would say, listen, this isn't an option. This event that we celebrate, the resurrection of Jesus, they would say, is the epicenter of Christianity. If you don't have the resurrection, you don't have Christianity. The reason they would follow Jesus, the reason they would risk their lives, the reason they would give their lives was not because of the teachings of Jesus. While the teachings of Jesus are amazing, they didn't go to the grave saying, it's all about that Sermon on the Mount. Man, that Sermon on the Mount was amazing. I mean, that is a prescription for, for personal well-being and, and towards societal utopia. This is a great teaching. That was not it. There was something deeper. It was this event that happened, that Jesus had come back from the dead and that he was alive and that he was well. That was what they would center their whole life and their beliefs upon. And here's another, another thought about this, is that for them, the resurrection of Jesus was not optional, it was indispensable, absolutely a must-have. In fact, the Apostle Paul writes these words in 1 Corinthians, for what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance. This is not secondary, this is not peripheral. This is of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. He says, this is it. This is of first importance. And if it didn't happen, later he says this, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. He goes on to say, you're still lost in your sin. The dead are still dead. It's worthless. He says, if this did not happen, then all of this that we're doing is just absolute waste of time. And anyone who believes it or follows this Jesus is a world-class fool says, listen, if, if the resurrection didn't happen, don't even waste your time with Christianity. Really don't, because you don't have it without the resurrection. But if it did happen, then it's worth consideration and even more than that. Here's another thought. If it weren't for the resurrection of Jesus, we would never have even heard of this man named Jesus. It wasn't 
because he wrote some great books. Jesus never wrote a book. It wasn't because he held a a political office or had some kind of a a position. He didn't. It wasn't because he had pyramids built or, or coliseums or big kingdoms here on earth. None of that. And it wasn't, in fact, even just because he claimed to be a Messiah or that he was crucified. Because there were other people who claimed to be messiahs as well. And there were literally hundreds of thousands of people who have been crucified. N.T. Wright, who's a New Testament scholar, he said this. There were many messianic movements in the first century. In every case, the would-be messiah got crucified by Rome as Jesus did. In not one single case do we hear the slightest mention of the disappointed followers claiming their hero had been raised from the dead. They knew better. Listen, if you're following someone who claims to be a Messiah, claims to be able to bring in this kingdom, and they die, you don't follow a dead Messiah. You find a dead Messiah support group and and, kind of collaborate together and try and help each other through this thing. And why is it, just consideration, why is it that all of these other messianic movements, when their leader died, their movement collapsed? Except for one. This one with Jesus. His movement not only didn't collapse, it exploded, and for 2,000 years up to this moment right now, billions of people have followed saying, he's alive. And can we take just a minute and go back to the crucifixion? You hear those words, the crucifixion. There's only one name that comes to mind. Rome had crucified hundreds of thousands of people. Who else do you think of? Some of you say, well, Spartacus. It's because you watched a movie that was made in the 60s. Spartacus didn't get crucified. Yeah, his men did, but he didn't. We don't even know the names of the thieves on the cross next to Jesus. All we know is the name of one man, Jesus. And why is that? And why is it that a symbol of of Roman execution, a cross, would become the foremost sign on tombstones and grave markers in cemeteries throughout the world? Why is it that they would have a Roman torture device as a marker for dead people? Except for the fact that it became not a symbol of Roman torture and, and, and death, but a symbol of hope of resurrection, that there was one who had been crucified, who had been under a tombstone, but who came back to life saying, death doesn't have the final word. There is hope beyond our days here on this earth. There is an eternity and there is a resurrection. It's the Jesus has come back from the dead. This became the message of the early followers of Jesus. They were all about the crucifixion and the resurrection. In Acts chapter 2, it says, God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. This wasn't just a, a rumor that they believed. This was a reality that they lived in. It wasn't just a memory of some guy. It was his very presence. Also in Acts 4, They were greatly disturbed, the people around, because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They weren't just telling ghost stories. They said, this is the very foundation. Now, we could go on and on, and seriously, there have been volumes written about why is it not crazy to believe that Jesus is back from the dead. But we'll stop there. Say, okay, okay. So maybe they believed it, and maybe it even happened. So what? So what? 
Well, let's talk about that. So what? Why, why, why is this even important for us? I mean, it's not 2,000 years ago. Why is this important? So what? For 2,000 years, this fact, this event, has been the anchor of hope and power for people throughout. For 2,000 years, people have not been repeating, the stock market has risen, it has risen indeed. <laughs> that is not the ultimate hope and power for people. They've not repeated, the gross domestic product has risen. It's risen indeed. They haven't even said, our political party has risen. It has risen indeed. The anchor of hope and power for 2,000 years for people who've gone through some of the most difficult times, who've had persecution and poverty and hardship and disease and even death itself, is this fact that he is risen. He is risen indeed. That's the anchor. That's the hope. That's the power of the resurrection. For, for Jesus' followers and for his followers for 2,000 years, this event and this story, it's not an inspiring story. It's a life-changing power. It's not just something that makes us feel good. We love these kind of stories, happy endings, someone from down, you know, they kind of rise above and then they conquer, and it's, it's kind of a chicken soup for the crucified soul. We love these stories. It makes us feel good, gives us courage, something to aspire to. This wasn't just an inspiring story to them. This was something that changed their life. This life-changing power in the resurrection. It was an extraordinary event that had profound, practical implications and impacts in their life. Romans chapter 4 says this. He, talking about Jesus, was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. All right. It's Easter Sunday. We're in church. Anyone here want to join me in saying, yeah, I've got some stuff in my past that I kind of wish I wouldn't have done. Anyone at all? Okay, so Skagit online. All right, go ahead. Yeah, anyone say, yeah, there's some things I, I you know, kind of got some guilt and feel bad for myself, some stuff in my past to sin. Yeah. What Christ did on the cross took care of that guilt. He says, I will take the guilt of that. I will take the penalty of that. I will take the punishment of that. And... When he's raised from the dead, we're brought back into a right relationship with God, not because of what we have done, but what Christ did on the cross and how he conquered things in the resurrection. That's an amazing thing, to have that kind of forgiveness from our past. And this whole thing about the crosses being on the graves, you know, the uncertainty and the fear regarding the afterlife and, the, and eternity, Jesus himself said these words, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. That's why the cross is on so many tombs, because it's this hope that death doesn't have the last say, that there is a resurrection. There is one who has come back and will bring us back as well. Now listen, if that was all there was to it, forgiveness for our past and having our ticket punched for eternity, that would be enough to blow up thousands of balloons and celebrate with great music. But there's even more than that. Not just our past and not just the someday when I die, which, you know, we all hope will be so far away. Paul wrote these words in Ephesians. His incomparably great power for us who believe, that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. I don't know if you understand the impact of what this is saying. 
that the same power that God exerted when he whispered to Jesus, come back from the dead, that same power, that resurrection power, he has for us who believe. Any of you use a little resurrection power in your life? A little resurrection power to help you with attitudes? Maybe with some addictions, with some habits? Some resurrection power to help in some relational issues? The hardships of life? Any of you need some resurrection power in your health, in your jobs? You see, it's not just an inspiring story. It's the power to have our lives transformed. And here's what's great. If you're saying, well, I'm not sure if I believe in this, you are surrounded literally by hundreds of people who would say, I'm telling you, I'm not, I'm not there yet, but it's the resurrection power of Jesus has changed my life. And, and can, I, can I say one more thing? Let me just push pause. Some of you saw this as you came in today. Next weekend, we have a, a special guest that will be here to share his story. Um, we have this in your link. Uh, Daryl Strawberry, who was one of the greatest baseball players in the 80s and late 80s and 90s, uh, is going to be here. I'm going to be interviewing him here on this stage. While 17 years in Major League Baseball, while his baseball career was skyrocketing, his personal life was plummeting. All kinds of relational issues, trouble financially, trouble with the law, trouble with alcohol and drugs and addiction. And on top of that, cancer twice. And when he got to the rock bottom, when he had nothing else, he looked up. And you know what changed his life? The resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And we're going to hear his story next weekend. And, and here's what I, I, I want to just encourage you to come back next weekend as I interview him. And maybe if you have friends who are like huge baseball fans, this would be a great weekend to bring them uh, to Cornwall to hear his story. If you have friends that are in, in recovery or dealing with some addiction stuff, to hear his story would be a great uh, thing for them. If you have uh, friends that are dealing with cancer, it'd be great to hear his story. Uh, we would just want to invite you back because what you're going to hear in his story is what we live. It's the power of the resurrection. Jesus Christ is alive and he's changing lives. Now, some of you might be saying, okay, let, let me get this straight. Sounds like what you're saying is, if I believe in this Jesus, it's like playing a country record backwards. I mean, all of a sudden, everything's going to be perfect. It's all going to be great. It's all going to be wonderful. And that's not what I'm saying. Because life isn't perfect. In fact, I, I love what Barbara Johnson said. She said, we are Easter people living in a Good Friday world. We have the victory of Jesus, but we're still living in this world that's dark, that's broken, that's filled with sorrow. See, when Jesus came back from the dead, Rome was still in power and still oppressing people. And for followers of Jesus, it would get even worse. They would be persecuted. On one hand, on the surface level in earth, nothing had changed. But on a deeper level, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, everything had changed. Now there was resurrection power to face an imperfect world. Now in the midst of the brokenness, in the midst of the hardship, in the midst of the injustice, in the midst of the heartache, there was a perspective, there was a hope, and there was a power that came because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They could live in that strength and in that power every single day of their lives. In about, um, I don't know, four or five days, some of you are aware of this, there's a movie that's opening, um, Avengers, Endgame. 
It's the last of the Marvel comic movie series. Um, and what's interesting about this movie, Avengers Endgame, is that it hasn't even opened yet, and it's already breaking records. This movie has broken all, shattered all records for pre-sales of tickets. In fact, the amount of tickets, the millions of dollars of tickets that have already been pre-sold for this movie eclipse the other top four combined. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, Bob Marvel, he's trying to sell tickets, he must get a kickback from this. <laughs> Not the case, I so wish. No, the reason I tell you this is the fact that there's something intriguing to us about superheroes in superhero movies. There's something inside of us that says, we want that to be true. We, we long for that to be reality. We long for there to be someone who against all odds would be able to conquer evil and to be able to conquer darkness and to be able to set things right. And so we pay money to sit in a dark room with strangers so that we can escape our own reality for two or three hours and see this thing that we wish was true. Now I want to go be careful about taking this analogy too far. But Jesus Christ isn't a movie Jesus Christ is one who, against all odds, when all things were against him, when he had lost his very life, comes from the grave in the bottom of the ninth inning, if you'll let me use that one, and he comes back, and he not only conquers evil and darkness, he conquers the grave, he conquers death, and he conquers sin, and it's not just so that we can escape reality for a couple of hours, it's so that we can live and face our reality in the resurrection power and hope of a living Savior. Amen. That, that is what Jesus has done. Now, I mentioned uh, to you that, that uh, next week, uh, Daryl Strawberry will be here. He's opening up our series that's gonna take us into the first, on through the spring, into the first few weeks of June. And the series is Hope Beyond. And, and the essence of the series is, how is it that we live in the reality of the resurrection? With, because of the fact of Jesus being alive, how do we live with, you know, with hope beyond our despair and our hardships and our failures and, and, our, and our futility. And it's based, the series is based roughly on a, a letter that Peter wrote, and he wrote it to people who were living in a Good Friday world. People who believed in the resurrection of Jesus, but were dealing with a lot of hardship and suffering. And one of the things he writes in this letter is this, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. New birth. Not just a, a do-over, but a new life. A new life in a living hope. Not just a hope that happened 2,000 years ago and one that we have for someday when we die, but one for today one that's alive, that will help us through whatever we're facing this day and the next day. It's alive and it's with us. And how do we have this new birth and a living hope? It's because of this event that happened to one person, but happened for everybody. See, that's why we believe this is of first importance. That's why we believe this is more than just an event in history. This is a reality that we can live in every single day. Now again, some of you may be sitting here, not literally like this, but inside you're like this, and you're saying, okay, what's their agenda? What's their angle? What do they really want? 
It's your money, of course. I mean, we already covered that, right, in the video? I mean, hello. No. Sorry, somebody said, see, told you. Okay. You're right. You're right. We do have an agenda. And full disclosure, I want to tip our hand today. We have an agenda. We have something that we pray for, we long for, we hope for. It's what drives us in our vision, in our mission. It's our goal today and every day. Here's our agenda. Our goal is that you would find and follow Jesus. Not that you would become religious, not that you would be members of some organization, but that you would find and follow Jesus. Because we believe that the resurrected Jesus, in Jesus alone, you will find forgiveness and freedom. You will find purpose and power for whatever you're going through. You will find hope and healing that you will find life. One of Jesus' closest disciples is a man named John. And he wrote an account of his experience with Jesus. It's, it's what we refer to as the book of John. He came up with the name himself, or maybe his mom did. But at the end of this, when he writes about Jesus, he says, let me tip my hand. Let me tell you my agenda. Let me tell you my goal. He wrote these words. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That was... that been here a while? Let's get back to the agenda. I'm like, who is sneaking up on me here? Let me read this again. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name because he's alive. This event that we celebrate, yes, it happened to one man 2,000 years ago, but it has been happening for people, billions of people, for 2,000 years. And it's what we long for for every single one of us. Now listen, I recognize that this spiritual thing is a journey. And some of you might be just investigating. Some of you might be a little bit intrigued this morning. You might even find yourself interested, but you're saying, I'm not ready to buy it yet. Here's what I want to challenge you with. Would you be willing to take a next step in your spiritual journey? And maybe the next step for you is to simply ask the person who invited you today, okay, so Bob's talking about this whole living Jesus relationship thing. Tell me about your relationship. Maybe that's your next step is just ask a question. What does a relationship with Jesus look like to you with the person that brought you? Maybe the next step for you is that you would join us next week and hear Daryl Strawberry's story and say, okay, I want to hear what happened to him. Maybe the next step for you is that you would get a Bible, and if you don't have one, we'll help you get one. We'll give you one today. And start reading and investigating the life of Jesus, not in a Sunday school childhood way, but as an adult to look at his life. Maybe a next step for you is to join in in this series that we're doing between now and mid-June. To say, okay, I, I, I'll commit to that one. Not, I can't give you any beyond that, but, 
But this one about what does it mean to live in the reality of the resurrection, I'll, I'll, I'll come on with that one. And maybe for some of you, today's your day. Today's the day when you say, you know what, I don't want Easter to just be an event. I want it to be a reality for me. I want to experience what he's talking about, that forgiveness, that power, that hope, that assurance. I'm just going to ask right now, if you would just bow your heads and close your eyes. And if that's your desire today, if this is the day that the resurrection of Jesus becomes a reality in your life, would you just pray something along this line? Father, thank you for sending your son. I believe that Jesus came, that he died for my sins, that he was raised from the grave. I believe that he has forgiveness for me, and I pray, Jesus, that you would forgive my sins. I pray that your power would help me through all the things I'm facing, the resurrection power, that I could live in hope and to know that my eternity is taken care of. Jesus, I want you to be my, my forgiver, my friend, my leader. And I want to know what it means to live in the resurrection and that power. So I pray that you would come in my life and lead me. I pray this in your name. Amen. Listen, there's nothing magical about those words. It's a posture of the heart. And if you prayed that prayer today, we want to encourage you and help you any way we can in your spiritual journey. If you prayed that prayer this morning on your way out, uh, here in Gadget, if you just grab one of these, we have those in, in the commons. Uh, it's a New Testament. There's a letter in here, some things, some, uh, some helpful resources for you as you start your journey. And we want to encourage you in your spiritual journey to get connected with a local church. We would love to have you at Cornwall, but if Cornwall's not for you, there are a ton of great churches here in Whatcom and Skagit County. Get into a church that lifts up the name of Jesus and teaches firmly on the word of God so that you can grow in this life. Here's why we celebrate. An event that happened to one person a long time ago means that today we can have forgiveness from our past, power for our present, hope for our future, and assurance for our eternity. He is risen. He is risen. Yeah.